0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center,
1: Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series.
0: Welcome everybody, Um, um, I'm seeing some familiar faces and a lot of new faces and it's really wonderful and inspiring to be here together in this space. I've led the Qigong here, but I haven't taken this seat, and it's just uh, really beautiful here. Um, and we all fit comfortably. <laughs> so um, uh, my name is Mira and uh, Mira Young, and um, I'm really honored um, to um, come tonight and support Mark while he's on retreat. I'm really happy he's on retreat right now, even for a few days. And um, um, I I have a little center just down the road. I tease that we should have a little Skyway him in the Ivy Building and uh, across the street in Rivers Way Meditation Center and and, um, offer um, integrative psychotherapy with mindfulness and uh, offer some other Dharma offerings. And uh, I've been um, teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, in the community, through the university, and at Shakopee Prison this past year, and um, some adjunct teaching, all around mindfulness and psychotherapy, and been on this Dharma path for a number of decades now. And um, it's always interesting to um, see how much, how little I, I really understand. So I, I'm delving into. Uh, the second noble truth tonight. I've been um, working with um, primarily the book of um, Dancing with Life by Philip Moffat, which I highly recommend. And I gave a talk here, I think, uh, a couple months ago on the first noble truth of suffering. So um, uh, this is kind of whimsical, but I got it, it just occurred to my mind what to call this talk. and. Um, if you don't laugh, it's okay.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, the things that arise to the mind. Um, so I'm calling it the second noble truth Buddha's laundry from Klingons to Kling Free.
1: <laughs>
0: so <laughs> works. <laughs> and I, I like the play on Klingons. <laughs> Think about being a Klingon. And uh, so, um, what are the four noble truths? I'll just briefly um, run through them, as if we could do that, and then I will um, just focus on the second noble truth, which is the the truth of the cause of our suffering. So, there's pain in life. First noble truth: there is there is this pain in life, and we there's a, there's suffering. There's a truth about how we suffer, and there is a cause about suffering, and that has to do with craving and clinging. And the third noble truth is about that there is release, there is freedom, and nibbana and relinquishment, letting go, and the Fourth noble truth is the path of awakening of mindfulness that includes our mindfulness of how we live our lives, our, our, how we um, are mindful of our speaking and our actions and our thinking and our practice. And it's <coughs> an eightfold path. So um, I thought I always like to um, start with a little poem. and. Uh, And this is called um, Eternity by William Blake. He who binds, he or she who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. But he or she who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. We who bind ourselves to joy, we who cling and chase after you know, various uh, sense desires and other kinds of desires that we'll be exploring tonight, that um, does winged life destroy, but she who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Third noble truth. Um, So we'll go to the classic here. So the root cause of suffering is craving for sensual pleasure, for existence, for non-existence, and for things to be different than they are. Craving is fueled by likes and dislikes, driven by illusion of me and mine, which in turn is due to misunderstanding the true nature of reality. Okay. So suffering ends when craving ends. Sylvia Gerstein, I love this, it's very simple. Um, she's a, a Dharma teacher and um, um, an elder in the community, Spirit Rock. And um, I loved how she talks about. Um, the second noble truth. She says that the second noble truth just, you know, the first noble truth just unflinching, unflinchingly tells us that the pain in life is inherent, right? We get sick, we age, we die, um, things happen that we don't want. I mean, there, there's pain in life, but the, is, the second noble truth is po- starting to point to what causes it, the craving. Tanha in the Pali, and that that actually the suffering around the pain is optional. That's the freedom. It's how we relate or deal with or open to the pains in life, is whether we're living in joy or whether we're in suffering. So she says that. Um, um, that the second noble truth of the Buddha is that craving anything, anything, is suffering. And it's our attachment to it. That's the clinging. It's often translated as the cause of suffering is craving. But I think this misses the point. Cause sounds like something happens first to produce a particular result. It could be construed as, crave now, suffer later, she says. And she says it. She believes it's crave now, suffer now. I just thought that was brilliant. Crave now, suffer now. You know, and 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 the beauty of that that I I find in my practice is that is that the moment that actually that that I'm craving, the suffering is right there. Don't you notice that? Like think about it. You know, it's, it's like right there. They're almost like companions, they kind of come together. And at the moment there's, there's the release of the craving, the suffering is gone, even if the pain is still there. So um, I'm going to heat up the fire a little bit here um, before we get to some fun stuff. So um, the Buddha, when he talked about cl- clinging, It's intense. I I found myself experiencing quite a bit of aversion. Um, He talks about the five aggregates of clinging. There's no way we're going to get to that in this talk, other than to say the aggregates is really the glue of how conditions, experience, arise, sense of self arise. It has to do with contact, sense contact, and uh, the feeling, quality, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and then it goes into um, perception, what it is. So if you hear, you, you might hear a sound. There's a sense contact, and there's a feeling. If it's a bird singing, there'd be pleasant the perception that it is a bird, and then the mental formations. Oh, I wonder if it's a, oh, it's a cardinal, and then the naming it and all that, and then all the associations, and then, and then um, the consciousness arises that recognizes this experience. So this is how the Buddha talks about clinging. All right. So at Savati, the Blessed One said to the monks, in one who keeps focused on the allure of clingable phenomenon that offers sustenance, the five aggregates, craving develops. All right. From becoming, and from craving and clinging is becoming, which gives birth to Death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origin of the entire mass of suffering and stress. And here's a metaphor for you. Just as a great mass of fire of 10, 20, 30, or 40 cartloads of timber were burning, and into it a man would time and time again throw dried grass, dried cow dung, and dried timber. So that great mass of fire, thus nourished, thus sustained, would burn for a long, long time. In the same way, in one who keeps focusing on the allure of clingable phenomenon, craving develops. And from craving as a requisite condition comes clinging. And from clinging, a requisite condition is becoming. And becoming is a requisition of birth, And then on and on, birth, old age, suffering, yada yada. So, um, excuse me, yada yada,
1: Buddha. Okay. So
0: um, it's pretty intense. And and, and, in Philip's book, talks about, uh, he refers to more teachings of the Buddha. And maybe you've heard some of these from Mark. I mean, that all the senses are burning. There's a kind of a fire. It's like we're on fire with this 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 burning of desire and craving. The desire itself is in the Pali, is called chanda, chanda, and and that there is desire. In fact, the nature of life, there is desire. I mean, we're here. We we are we're taking birth in each moment. There is becoming. So there is this desire, and then how how there can be wholesome desire. Okay. So, but there is this desire, and then there's this quality of tanha which is that craving and that stickiness and the wanting it or not wanting it to be the way we are. So I'm going to jump into um, um, some examples and, and unpack this a little further. So there are these three types of craving, And uh, as I mentioned them in the first reading, I'm just going to talk about them a little more. And the first is the craving for the six kinds of sense desires. So you might think of some examples in your own life. Um, and um, I'm aware that I went to the co-op the other day. And I hadn't eaten. It was kind of late afternoon. And I really needed to get some some food. And um, I was aware of going to the co-op and really being in the mood for something like just veggies and rice and something really simple and warm, warm, not cold food, right? And so I walk into the co-op, and, you know, there's all this food, and, like, you know, 90% of it has, you know, sauces and peppers and, you know, like, really, like, all this stuff, like, everything's got red peppers in it, and it seemed like that. And so I kind of get the container, and I'm trying some things, and then I just put this little mash, and then I throw some spinach on top from the salad bar. And I sit down, and I'm really aware as I sit down with this food, I don't really want to eat it. <laughs> this is not the meal that I crave. And then and then the mind's like, well, man, maybe I should have run in a true tie, even though I didn't have time. Or, or why didn't I, you know, why didn't? has to make soup or you know like just like you know like like this is not the meal I want to eat it's this kind of mash and it's going to nourish me and I actually came across a great section about the Buddha around food and I thought well I mean, I'm not even going to go there. It's really intense about how, how we should be with food. I mean, it has to do with, like, you're in a desert and you have to actually eat somebody else in order to survive. That's how your relationship should be with food. Well, mine isn't that way. <laughs> so it's not just, like, food is medicine. It's like, you know, I, I like my food. So, um, I was, I, so I thought, OK, this is a lot of ill will. I mean, I'm sitting here really grateful to be able to, come in. I had someone I was seeing the other day, and they're they're looking for steady work and a young person struggling, and they can't buy the kind of beverage or food they want. They can't walk in the co-op and just get a little box and throw whatever they want in there. And so I thought, okay, gratitude that I have the conditions that at this time in my life I can, you know, get what I like. and, and, And that this made this food nourish me. And then I saw a little family sit down and I actually saw this young boy take a moment to say a prayer over his food in the co-op right at the counter. I was very moved by that. And then there's this lovely family and, and so I so I was like gratitude and that, you know, this food will bring nourishment for me to do what I need to do. So that was just a little example about that sense desire. And then there was a release from that clinging. It wasn't the best meal, but I was full and it was nourishing and it was healthy, fairly healthy. And, um, and then there's a second kind of craving, which is a craving um, for um, becoming what you're not. And this is the bhavana, bhava, bhava craving. And this this in Pali. And this kind of craving is the one that we particularly as westerners in modern life suffer the most about you know just take a moment what is it that you want to become i want that master's degree i want that new car that runs i want that house i want that partner i want to accomplish something in my life i mean i want something really good on my epitaph you know it's like it's like This sense of becoming, and some of it's wholesome. You know, we want we want to improve ourselves. We want to become enlightened. You know, even our spiritual development is part of this becoming. Even though, yes, it may be it's a wholesome desire for freedom, but it's also to recognize that it's it is a craving, and it's saying that I'm wanting, I'm going to take birth in that. I'm going to become something more. Right. So so we suffer a lot. Um, um, I I have some very, I'm very grateful to have some very um, accomplished friends, but I see their suffering because, like, but I should be further. I should be able to do this kind of work in the world. And I see this kind of despair or frustration that arises. And sometimes I experience it myself. Like, you know, I want to, I saw it around the talk, you know, like, like I wanna I wanna be able to give a coherent Dharma talk. I don't know if this is gonna come out coherently. I have this stack of books and all these crazy notes. And and then I had finished up one of the mindfulness courses at the university yesterday, and you know, they give you evaluations. Mm-hmm. And whoever made the evaluations, and I have not desire, want to get this off the evaluation form, they actually have numbered on there one to ten. And they say, "Did you like the personality of the teacher?" <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh. you know." So, so there's this ego that wants to be liked, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm looking at the other things. Well, how how did their practice go, whatever? But I'm really speaking right to the back <laughs> personality. Hmm. hmm oh, hmm. you know, it's like you know that that kind of craving, wanting wanting to be be liked. Um, and then the third kind is, and, and perhaps you can relate to this. And I have a actually rather sad story to share, an example is that um, when something comes up that you really don't want to be happening, you really want to get rid of, that you cannot accept, um, like say, you know, somebody is asking, and I work with people that are struggling in relationships, you know, like I want a divorce no, this can't be happening to me. Um, And uh, um, just the other day, just a few blocks from here, a few days ago, um, a young man, my son's age, I just turned 21, you probably may have seen it in the the news, um, was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver um, while he was at the stoplight. And of course, he's out at 4.30 in the morning, which is, you know, just the lifestyle of young people. You know, they're out and about. But he was just parked at the stoplight, waiting for the light. I thought that time of day, I'd probably go right on through it. <laughs> he was there, and um, and uh, died. And yesterday, I went briefly to the visitation, to um, the celebration of his life, and. When the, the news first came, I called home and um, I could tell something was off with my son. And, and after, within a few moments, I thought another friend of his who's been struggling with some stuff, something bad happened to him. And then he told me this other friend of his that this had happened. And I hadn't seen the kid for a few years, but you know, this kid had come to my house for overnights and birthday parties, you know, and grade school, high school, and and like the mind. Just could not accept it, and he said, "Well, I think he he died." I'm like, well, did he die? Maybe he didn't die. It's like, oh no, this can't really be happening. It was just—it wasn't even. There were those thoughts, but it literally was like, like, like it just wouldn't accept it. It was just like a denial. It was just too painful to open to in that moment, and the mind started to scramble. It just started going, "No, no, no." And There was this pain, and oh no, no. And then, and then, I, uh, by the time I, I, I actually went home right away, and um, and we embraced, and after a bit, and and I said, you know, I just couldn't accept it. So he really is dead. And he said, yeah, I had the same thing happen to my mind, you know. Um, yeah, he really is. So. You know, there may be times like that where, where and, and also it can get to the point, the Buddha says, of like annihilation. Like, like where, we're, so, you know, some people, we even get to a point where we don't even want to stick around. You know, it just, life is just, mm And so it's, it's important to recognize that, that that is a form of craving, a wanting to get rid of, wanting it to stop or go away. Time is flying here. So um, these are these three different kinds of craving, and um, some Jeff Cornfield some interesting things about craving. He says, you know, that um, he was working with um, a woman on a meditation retreat who described. Um, feeling like a hungry ghost. And she had used food all of her life to, to work with um, you know, her feelings. And um, I want to find that part. It's very poignant about the, um, the uh, yeah, she'd been obsessed with the feeling of intolerable emptiness and how worthless and ugly she felt inside. She spent several years in therapy, uncovering the pain and lack of love in her adopted family, but still suffered from binge eating, time and time again looking for the magic in the food, only to have it fail and instead bring her untold shame and suffering. She called her binging a memory disorder. A memory disorder. Um, I knew that food was not the answer nor the problem, What slowly made a difference for Cynthia was mindfulness. At first, she told me it was a victory to accept pain, nausea, sleeplessness, that followed a binge, rather than eating even more to numb the shame and remorse for having done it again. It was critical that she learned to work with that shame and remorse, and to start to send compassion to her body. And this is how she later described it. I was gradually able to see the hungry ghost tendency did not make me a failure as as being. Because the self-hatred was so intense, I could only say, may this suffering body be healed. May this sad heart be free. And recently um, he saw her, and um, she, she was really in a very, very different place with her life and her heart. Um, As we let go and and we see others suffering, our heart fills with compassion. So much suffering is human-caused. We awaken to the poignancy and tenderness beyond our own personal injuries. One Zen master calls this caring, the tears of the way. The tears of the way. Our personal suffering diminishes. Our awareness of the sorrow and pain in the world grows stronger. Our heart is open, and we feel connected to all things. And that would lead us towards a letting go practice, to start to let go, to free our hearts, To start to see in the moments where we can let go of the clinging. Um, This poem um, speaks for itself. I'm just going to give it a brief introduction. How many of you know how monkeys are captured in the wild? You know that story about uh, the coconut, and they stick their hand in? Well, this woman wrote a poem about it called Dropping the Banana. So this is how we go from on to free. Yeah. Dropping the banana. All I have to do is let it go. Like a falcon releasing a rabbit. Like an athlete relinquishing a golden dream. Like a hungry child tossing a ripe mango into the sun. All I have to do I dread. What happens if I let go? What happens if I can't? Surely it is safer not to experiment. For see here, I am not alone. I recognize you fellow monkeys clinging to the thresholds of normality, rattling imprisoned limbs. You dare me to desert? All I have to do, I do. Finger by finger, I loosen my grip. I let it go. There was no banana, only a fist contorted by fear, choking the innocent air. Um, when I thought about craving, um, and I haven't read all the stories in this book, but there was a time, and I'll really date myself. I must have been in the 80s or in early 90s, was it? When uh, Clarissa Pincola Estes, Woman Who Run With Wolves, came out It's a long time. And uh, I remember reading the story of the red shoes. Are you familiar with that story of the red shoes? No. Okay. Um, and this this was one I think about a craving, and addiction, and 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 wanting. And I I, th- I didn't. I'll I'll summarize the story um, without giving a lot of details. There's just a part I wanted to share with you. Um, it's a it's a poor girl, a motherless girl, taken in and. Uh, she has um, some shoes, and anyway, they ended up getting burned. And she wanted these red shoes, and basically, kind of like a, uh, a witch-like person, gives her these, these special red shoes. And she puts them on, and they, she starts to dance. And she's um, wearing these beautiful red shoes. So you know, she came from a very impoverished her way, and there were these beautiful red shoes, and they just fit her feet perfectly, and they gave her a real high, you know, a real rush. She could dance and dance and dance, and she didn't want to take them off, and she was dancing in the church, in the churchyard, and her, the person that was caring for her finally got them off of her, and then hid them, put them way up on a top shelf in the house. Well, this is what happens. It's well worth reading this, and Clarissa really unpacks it. It's quite got a lot of depth. So um, back home, the old woman slammed the red shoes down high on a shelf and warned the girl never to touch them again. But the girl could not help looking at them and longing for them. (laughs) To her, they were still the most beauteous things on the face of the earth. Not long after his fate would have it, the old woman came bedridden, and soon the doctors left, and the girl crept into the room where the red shoes were kept. She glanced up at them so high on the shelf, her glance became a gaze. And the gaze became a powerful desire. So much so that the girl took the shoes from the shelf and fastened them on, feeling it would do no harm. But as soon as they touched her heels and toes, She was overcome by the urge to dance, and out the door she danced down the steps, dancing, 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 until she was so terrified and couldn't stop. And then there was a curse with the shoes that, you know, she would just dance and dance until she became like a wraith, a hungry ghost. So she actually took herself to the executioner's home and said, Cut the shoes off. Well, they tried to cut the shoes off, but they wouldn't come off. And finally, they cut the feet, and then she—that's how she freed herself. So, better to let go of them now. <laughs> Drop the banana. So, um, I have a lot more that I, you know, could share about this. <laughs> A little more from Philip about it. Just to, um, leave you here, but you know we know how destructive. Have you, you? I mean, this is. You know, we've all had our form of the red shoes, right? And maybe during the meditation, some things that we've been clinging to, whether it's an old story of unworthiness, or whether it's um, something that that we really wanted that didn't work out, a disappointment, a loss. Um, you know, we all have a version of things that we will crave and crave, or We think that we need to be happy, or, or, or sometimes regrets. You know, could have, would have, should have. I have elderly parents, and I remember, in growing up, my dad, who is a, um, some of you know, is a, a Holocaust survivor. Um, you know, he never really got to realize himself. He came over. He survived. He got a job in a cousin's factory. He kind of worked somewhat his way up to sales work, and and he never really got to have his own business or his own house until years later. You know, he didn't really, and he and there was always could've, would've, should've, just awful. You know, he's in his mid 80s and Alzheimer's, and you know that. But that sense of a failure, like I never got to realize those dreams. You know, I never really attain that and so sometimes it's a desire for a certain attainment that becoming and sometimes it's a craving for something that we know is unhealthy or a pattern that we're in but we still keep going or you know these different things or things we push away so um how do we work with this and then I want to leave some time for questions shortly um for discussion um, Philip says what is the origin of suffering. It is craving accompanied by relish and lust, (coughs) relishing this and that, craving for sensual desires, craving for being, craving for non-being. This noble truth must be penetrated by abandoning the origin of suffering and then the knowing that this noble truth has been abandoned. And I just want to say a little more about abandoning. So um, the Buddha says that he who understands clinging and non-clinging understands all the dharma. Let these words of advice steer you in the direction of making a distinction between desire and suffering. She or he who understands clinging and non-clinging understands all the dharma. and that how to practice abandoning. Here's a few steps from Philip. There are many teachings about how to let go of clinging, but I recommend using mindfulness to clearly see what is true for you right now. The first step is to separate your desire from your attachment to it. Then examine the desire itself and see how it's related to the arising of pleasant and unpleasant feelings. Observe whether desire is based in the present, or linked in the past, or the future. Be interested in the energy of desire. You know, What does it feel like in the body? Get curious about it. Start to recognize the, the awareness that's aware of desire in the mind, in the body. You know, We identify with the desire itself, but actually, there's when we're recognizing it, there's an awareness of that desire or that clinging. And actually, that's where the freedom, that's where the uncling starts to happen. That mindfulness, that moment that you're aware that you're you're clinging, then you start to drop the banana, right? It's that cling now, suffer now, let go clinging, suffer less, or not suffer. So um, he said, notice whether images or words accompany desire, is there a little movie running in your head about the outcome? Now, a lot of the desire is that we don't live in the moment. We we're like focused on the goal or the outcome, right? Now look for signs indicating you're caught in clinging. The the the, the feeling in the body is especially important, as I mentioned. And then um, once you've made these distinctions, just begin to note, and and we can rest more and more in that awareness and notice if there's aversion there. And um, you can imagine that letting go is a physical act, like putting down the hot cup of tea. Imagine filling your mind when clinging is gone, the ease filling your mind. And smile at your resistance to letting go of the clinging. And then really bringing in loving kindness and compassion for the one that, that clings. And understand that it's conditioned. And ultimately, it's not you clinging, it's just that that those aggregates and that, that arising of the clean. And then keep bringing, working with your mindfulness, loving kindness, and compassion. So a poem to close. This is a psalm from the Book of Psalms. Lord, my mind is not noisy with desires, and my heart has satisfied its longing. I do not care about religion or anything that is not you. I have soothed and quieted my soul like a child at its mother's breast. My soul is as peaceful as a child sleeping in its arms of a mother And Rumi says, praise to the emptiness that blanks out existence. This place made of our love for that emptiness, yet somehow comes emptiness. This existence goes. For years I've I've been pulled my own existence out of emptiness. Then one swoop, one swing of the arm, and that work is over, free of who I was, free of presence, free of dangerous fear, hope free of mountainous wanting. The here and now mountain is a tiny piece of a piece of straw blown off into emptiness. These words I'm saying so much begin to lose meaning. Existence, emptiness, mountain, straw. Words and what they would try to say swept out the window down the slant of the
1: roof. It's roomy.
0: And then just see, let you know, just engaging in you know whatever might have you want to share that came up from you. Any questions? And again, it's, it's really an ongoing process of exploring and, and noticing what brings suffering, how what how we release clinging in the moment, um, and holding it all with that compassion. Buddy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You're all in the banana. <laughs> let go.
1: Here, how do they catch monkeys in the wild?
0: Somebody else tell the story. I've been talking for hours now. So <laughs> you, you know. You want to sing?
1: The monkey reaches into the coconut to grab the banana and won't open its hand to let go, so it gets stuck there. And then
0: Yeah, the, the monkey, at least these monks, they don't have the mindful, they didn't They didn't get the, the, maybe some monkeys have had the teachings of the Buddha, and they they know it a lot. But, you know, it's that, it's that grasping. They trick them. It's a trick. You know, they trick them, and, the, and they can't let go. They want the banana. That's how strong, the, you know, I mean, their food is there. I mean, that's their most, you know, delicious food, and they aren't going to let go. So they're standing there. <laughs> Bye-bye,
1: monkey. So just a... Just and yeah. the, the coconut has a rope uh-huh. to it tied to the tree, and then the hunter puts the banana in there, and then that's how that. the coconut gets
0: caught. Thank you. You sound like a woman who's seen one of those. <laughs> oh, I, no, I don't well, know. Really? I would not envision it. No, oh, okay. Seen one, but
1: oh, okay. I, I mean, I think I saw it described as that. Oh. Do the tra-
0: it's a trap. Thank, Thank you. Bonnie.
1: Thank you, Botney. The banana doesn't end up in a yeah. Right, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is there lime in the coconut banana? Right. So maybe I should rename the talk. We have we have no bananas. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let go of the banana up oh, getting that red shoe story you told <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just have a question. Yeah, I it be. I you were mentioning something about becoming and desire. Or something Yes. like real something about the becoming. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I didn't quite you I mean I did get what you were saying about how we cling to our mm-hmm. becoming
0: but. Well, it's it's um, my apologies because it, it it is hard to to describe. But it, it's like um, let's say about it. Um, you know, for a moment, like when we let go, just viscerally, what do you experience in your body? What do you experience in your mind? And now bring to mind something that you you want get home and go to my nice cozy bed and just notice what happens is there a sense of self that arises a kind of a contraction a taking birth in the next moment of becoming it's like this this um when when we can drop in and let go in the moment that that sense of a me wanting doing you know like like it's just I think of it that—that's kind of how I experience it, and that—that—that—that that, that, that desire, that kind of formation, like it, 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 it actually—it's the, the pain of that clinging. It, it, when there's non-attachment or kind of a letting go of outcome or just kind of recognition, it it, 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 it there's an expansiveness. There's not so much a sense of narrow wanting. It's just more. Being present. If someone else can clarify it, and again, we didn't get into more about the five aggregates, and, and you know, this is you know quite a bit about how what becoming means. Does do do you have
1: anything on becoming? No. Okay. anyone else? Yeah, jump in. I guess to me, becoming
0: is like the energy mm-hmm. and becoming a certain way,
1: mm-hmm. and getting trapped by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and identified with it. There's an ident- there's a me and a my and a, and the, that congealing around a sense of self and ego. And we identify with our habit. Actually, people say the the rebirth consciousness is is like our bad habits are reborn. That's the momentum of what arises in the next moment, next arises. Someone else? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It, yeah. It's
1: starting that um becoming sort of I can't find the word but it says that right now it's not okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you. Well said. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's something other to be found.
1: So, so it's kind of a reversing to this Whatever this is. That, that's, that's the other project how it should be Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, I think I think those distinctions and feeling into the different tanhas, the different clinging and desire that are, that that Philip is describing, like you start to you can kind of get a feel for that, like what that feels like in your own body. Heart and mind, and 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 you know, reading can help in some explanations, and then you kind of feel what that that particular energetic quality is. Um, I think it, it, it's more it, to me. It has that quality of, and I think how Philip was describing a little bit is that um, um, wanting to become something or someone or giving, you know, it's sort of like. the the arising quality, you know, the other sort of like, the aversive, get rid of quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have, I'm not
1: going to say what it is, but I have this, well, I have this really (coughs) unpleasant situation that has entered my life, that entered my life last summer that Mm -hmm. um, I've been, that's been very challenging for me, that I don't want, and it's sort of like, My life sort of feels like it's on hold because I want, basically, I just want this to go away. And it's not going away and I can't control it. And I did not cause it, you know, but I I desperately want this to go away. And to a certain extent, this feeling that I have of wanting the situation to go away, you know, it's it's some sort of, it's something that's going to play out and it's going to, you know, be gone at some point, but I don't know when. um, it reminds me of the way that I'm kind of dealing with it, almost like the way someone would feel like, I'll be happy when I become a doctor, or, you know what I mean? It, it's almost on that same playing field. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's but it's extremely painful, and I'm just basically, I I have no other choice at this moment until I can see some other options. I mean, if no one hasn't gotten by yet, I'm not uh, in physical danger, but it's my psychological um, safety that. Pretty much is at stake. So, <laughs> so, you know, so I'm just trying to kind of deal with that. But it's a very, very um, interesting situation. I've never thought that I would ever have to deal with something of this nature. But it just goes, you know, like you say, it's a, there are certain uh, sufferings in life that, you know, things come into our lives that we don't understand. And, you know, so.
0: Right. And, you know, and I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> the situation, whatever. But I think I think generally, and maybe other people have you know, lots of wisdom around this, too, is that you can chat later or hear from one another. But you know how to work with the difficult situation or person. And so there is this pain, there is this stress, and it's really painful, and it really sucks. And then it's like, how do I meet that? So it's like, what do you do with your own heart and mind around it? That can add, like they call it the second arrow or the third arrow. Like, like there, there's the pain, and then what we do with it, we either create more suffering, or we're like maybe just really tuning up the loving kindness and the compassion for yourself. You know, really, you know, bringing those, those Viharas, taking refuge in those qualities, or. Um, You know, seeing what are the thoughts I'm saying in my mind. You know, how do I work with the feelings? How do I hold that? How do I get support around it? You know, like what, what, how I work with it. And sometimes, too, what I found in a difficult person and situation, when I can open to it a little bit and to, to, to show up with some compassion or, or make some space somehow around it for myself, like I care about this pain, you know, may I let go of the pain. You know that I can. You know, and again, I don't know the situation, but but I think working with it to see what what can support your heart and take take care, and and, um, and, and I found it's been very powerful that sometimes I can be experiencing something really really painful and aversive, and yet there can still be a space of freedom and equanimity. Equanimity practice. Things are as they are. Yeah, there was another question. Yeah, and then we should finish up.
1: Um, I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of separating desire and attachment. I don't think we do a very good job of it. And um, thinking about that, how do you, how would you recommend, recommend moving towards wholesome desire, or how to, how to recognize? I mean, obviously, if i meditate,
0: while you meditate, is a wholesome desire. But any other clues to try and cultivate or know the difference? Well, absolutely. I mean, that 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 key of of the attachment is really the issue. It's not the desire itself. Actually, it's the attachment that that really makes it turns it into clinging. That there's just desire in this realm. That's it. You know, it's just there's not. It's just that that chanda. But then. So what you're talking about is like so with your spiritual practice and then the eightfold path, living a mindful life and, and recognizing what's what's wholesome and not, you know, how you live your lifestyle, the people you hang out with, the food you eat, you know, the whole ball of wax, how you do your practice. But again, like if if spiritual desire is really wholesome, but if you're sitting there going like striving and pushing and focused on outcome, then there's an attachment to it versus saying, OK, um, I'm showing up. I'm committed to my practice. I'm learning how to skillfully focus the mind and develop mindfulness. And so so I, my guess is that you could come up with a lot of wholesome desires. It might be, I'm going to volunteer at the center. I'm going to d- offer generosity. I'm, I had someone I was working with earlier today, and they struggle with depression, and they said, you know, I decided to start a gratitude journal. You know, so again, turning the heart and mind towards those—they call them paramis—which are the ten, the qualities of the heart, like patience, development of patience, and kindness and generosity. The, these qualities that 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 we can direct that energy of desire. Um, and I, I do I do recommend some of these um, supports. And there's other Dharma talks as well, but but um, the wholesome desire. Um, we could have spent a whole talk on that. I kind of did more on the red shoe part and the banana. Part. <laughs> next next time we'll be we'll be focusing more on the wholesome.
1: <laughs> but,
0: but talk to people. There's there's and I think you know you know what's wholesome, you know, and then moving more in that direction. Um, um, I was upset about something earlier today, kind of one of my self-righteous things with money and health care and costs of dental work. And uh, and I I, I I had some cookies in the house, and, and I had already had some with my lunch, and I, I saw my hand go out, and I <laughs> oh, I don't want the cookies. It's not good. So that was the So the wholesome desire was I wanted the peace of mind, and I didn't want to. I just could just sit with it and let it go. So let's close with metta, loving kindness. Just reestablishing awareness of body sitting and breathing and let's take a few moments to to um, appreciate a wholesome desire to really direct some appreciation the desire for the Dharma for peace of mind for reliefs of suffering that brought you here tonight there was a wholesome desire that arose and so So honoring that within yourself, your own Buddha nature, um, that's just obscured by these various hindrances, mind states. And wish yourself well. May I be free from suffering and the cause of suffering, clinging, craving. May I have the wisdom and insight and courage to follow the noble path that leads to liberation liberation the end of craving and suffering in each moment freedom from suffering mental and physical suffering may I love and accept myself in each moment just as I am letting go the judgment were caught love and acceptance for myself may I live with ease and joy ease and joy wonder and wisdom in this world may I know true peace happiness and freedom and we can share the benefits, the merit of our practice and our intention, our wholesome intention, to realize the Dhamma, to awaken here and now. We can share this. We can bring. T- we can share it with one another here at Common Ground. All those that practice and work here, and those in the community, those near and dear to our hearts, and far and wide. You know the people in. Washington trying to figure out what the heck to do you know the the, the great suffering in Gaza and Middle East Iraq Darfur <sighs> softly breathing in and out of the heart and just sending some loving kindness to yourself and all sentient beings everywhere no difference Peace, happiness, freedom.
1: Thank you for listening.